Hello, Mighty Warrior. Can I ask you a question? Do you love your wife? <laughs> of course you do. But be honest, do you sometimes struggle living with her? <laughs> you know what I mean. You're loving each other one moment and then you're arguing the next. Probably with something that she said or you did. And deep down inside, don't you wish your marriage could be easier? Well, it can be, and we want to help you. Backed by popular demand, Real Men Connect is hosting the second Marriage Secrets for Men boot camp on Saturday, November the 10th from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you don't want to miss it. You're going to learn simple, proven, practical ways to get along better with your wife. Make your marriage easier. Avoid unnecessary conflicts and arguments and even have more sex. <laughs> and we're guaranteeing the results. But here's the catch. You can't tell your wife what you learn. You can only apply what you learn. This marriage boot camp is for men only. So get ready to get down, dirty, and real as we help you make your marriage work better. So make sure you register for this event before November the 10th or before we sell out. Now, I say sell out because seating is limited. So to sign up and reserve your spot and take full advantage of the early registration discount, go to MarriageSecretsForMen.com. That's MarriageSecretsForMen.com. I know that no marriage is easy, but yours can be easier. And we can help you guaranteed. So go to MarriageSecretsForMen.com and sign up today. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man? husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. And today we have with us Dave Hilgendorf, who is the author of Jesus is at Work, How to Find Joy and Purpose at Your Current Job. Now, in addition to being an author, Dave's a full-time engineer for the second time around. And Dave says that the first time he threw away a good career in exchange for uh, get-rich-quick schemes, and he ended up a broken man, financially bankrupt, alone, and depressed. But he said from that pit, he accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he says his life has never been the same. He and his wife, Carrie, they live in North Carolina, and they have three daughters. Dave says he has finally found God's purpose for his work, and now he wants to show others how they can find joy and purpose in their work. And that's why I reached out to Dave to invite him to be on our show, because they said that in a study by Barner back in 2012 that they reported that eight out of 10 Christian men admit that they are dissatisfied with their work. And when I started reaching uh, or researching this topic about men's um, dissatisfaction with their job, and I was looking for a Christian perspective on this dilemma, I came across Dave's book, Jesus at Work. And I found it to be insightful, practical, and firmly backed up by God's word. I was so thrilled when I reached out to him and he accepted my offer and agreed to be on the Real Men Connect podcast. So please join me in welcoming our newest warrior to the Real Men community, Dave Hilgendorf. Welcome to the show, Dave. Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. 
And Dave, I got to tell you, I'm not even giving them half the story because you have the patience of Joe because it, it, it took a while to get you on this show, man. It was not easy treading. And even getting on the show today with our technical difficulties and everything, we got to believe that um, you go through tests and trials because God is going to show up in a mighty way. And I'm expecting him to show up in a mighty way on this podcast, on this particular episode, because I think this topic is so important to men out there and I can't wait to dive into it. But Dave, before we get started, I always ask me when they come on the show to share whether it's their favorite Bible verse that gives them inspiration for the word of God. And what is what is your life verse for this season in your life right now and why? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I love this verse um, because for several reasons. First of all, my pastor refers to it as God's true nature manifested in us. And and the other reason I love it is because it helps me focus on what is really important in life. I mean, so often I I get focused on, am I keeping up with this goal or that goal? And is my life on track? Is it not on track? And this verse, I think for me, more than any other, helps show me what really matters. Am, Am I letting God work through me um, as measured by the uh, the fruit that's in this verse. You know, and Dave, I'm always surprised. We're now over 280 episodes, and I'm always asking men that question, and I'm always surprised that no one usually repeats the same verse. And you kind of think that we all have our favorite verses, but you think someone started to overlap, and that's the first time anyone has quoted um, Galatians 5.22. And I, I love hearing the perspective, so thanks for sharing that perspective with us on that particular verse. It gives us something to think about. Now, Dave, in your introduction, I was talking about your, a little bit about your testimony that you shared. I got that from your website. And so I always ask men about their story because everyone has a story. And so let's start by you sharing your story. Give us the highlights of your story and what you're about and how you got to this place of writing a book such as this. Sounds good. Well, I grew up in a a Lutheran home. Uh, We went to church every week. Um, I had a a good, solid family, parents that that loved me. Um, But when it comes to our faith, uh, I viewed, looking back on it now, as faith that was fairly limited to uh, private, uh, private faith and and going to church on Sunday. There wasn't a lot of talk about God in the home, but so from there I went to college and I continued to go to church on Sunday, but I entered into I guess what you might call a typical college lifestyle and. Um, drinking and some drugs and um, pr- promiscuous behavior and and uh, but I still work very hard at what at uh, getting getting my degree and and so I graduated and um, got my first job at um, working for General Mills uh, and it was really a cool job which I got to be able to get into some pretty interesting things, um, which we don't have to go into now, but, but it was, by, I guess the point is it was an interesting job. It was a good paying job. Um, but I wasn't satisfied. I, there, there was something that wasn't quite right. Uh, I was always kind of looking for something else, both in terms of relationships as well as my work. So I quit my job and, and, uh, pursued, uh, trying to get rich and, um, 
was not doing things as I look back on it now, biblically sound way. I wasn't breaking laws, but I was going into too much debt. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, when the 2008 um, financial collapse occurred, I was pretty much already collapsed. <laughs> I was I was in debt up to my eyeballs. I had over a million dollars in debt and uh, out of control, basically. And I was, uh, after my divorce, continued um, pursuing relationships in the wrong way. Um, I was living with somebody, and then that relationship broke up. And uh, a friend of mine invited me to his church, and it really made an impact on me. The pastor made a call um, uh, both to salvation and to uh, come visit their church. Uh, I answered the second call, and I went to their church um, uh, the next week, and they had uh, a, a large singles um, group that met, and I, I met uh, uh, my my current wife now, Carrie, at that singles group, and she kind of, I didn't know quite what to do with her because she talked about faith in a different way than I was used to. You know, she talked about loving Jesus and quoting scripture left and right and things that I wasn't used to and uh, talk, talking about being born again, things that were just not part of my reality up to that point. And, uh, but within about uh, six months, I accepted the, the call at that church and um, accepted Christ as my Savior. And um, uh, about a year from after that, I, I Carrie and I got married and We've been married now for 12 years. Uh, I adopted her two daughters that she had at the time, and then we had another daughter together. And soon after she and I met, or soon after we got married, I filed bankruptcy. And um, so I was very humbled by that experience. And I um, finally, uh, as part of that bankruptcy, wound down what was left of this business that I had. And I went back to my first career, which is engineering. I was blessed to get a recommendation from a man in my men's ministry group at church, uh, which allowed me to get a job, even though I had been away from engineering for like eight years. And and I so I went back to this job with a diff, just a different attitude about work. I mean, I was so humbled by everything, and I and I was fired up about being a Christian in ways that I never had. And but here I am back at this engineering job, you know, a job that was not that different than the old job I had, but you know, it felt different. And I felt like, you know, my life needed to be different. Yes. I was doing things uh, differently relationship wise. I was finally committing to somebody. I was finally take, um, thinking about others other than myself. You know, that happens when you adopt two daughters, you know? <laughs> um, but how does that, what does that mean in terms of my work? That was the thing I was just struggling with. And so, um, I mean, there were some things very different about both how I thought about my work and how I acted at work. And I just, I was reading a book called um, God Has a Dream. I believe it's by Bill Godwin. God Has a Dream for You. And that book really inspired me to write a book about what I was kind of struggling with and, and praying about and going through. And so that led to me writing this book, and and essentially it, it just it talks a little bit about my story, but it, it really just talks about what God's will is for our work, and that He has much 
bigger plans for the work that we do than we um, give to ourselves. And what I've found is that most people don't think much about their work other than a way to make a paycheck. Um, they don't think of it in spiritual terms. Um, that's partly because the church doesn't think of it that way, to be honest. And we don't normally talk about our work in spiritual terms. We talk about spiritual things, and then maybe at a gathering we might talk about what we do for a living, but we don't talk about how that work has anything to do with our walk with the Lord. You know, and Dave, we're going to jump into that in with more detail because I got a lot of questions for you, man. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> and I asked you to share your story because I, I want to give the men out there who are listening some context of seeing your journey. Because it's one thing to see a man where he is. They see you on your job, but they don't know the journey it took you to get there to your job. And you mentioned a lot of different things. And I love taking notes when I'm listening to guests. And I want to touch on a couple of things before we jump into uh, some specific questions about Jesus at work, because you're, I believe you're absolutely right. Um, we tend to separate the two. Um, even though I'm not in a traditional job now, I'm in, quote, full-time ministry. Pretty much every job is ministry, depends on how you look at it. But I want to go back to a, a couple of things that you mentioned earlier. And I don't know if it's just out of my curiosity or me just being nosy. But when I hear men talk about, um, about they say, man, I grew up in a good home. Um, but God was not discussed about it. Um, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. So I'm always um, curious, what makes a good home a good home if God is not in it? <laughs> uh, I've struggled with this a bit, you know, because, I mean, there's a good chance my my parents will, won't listen to this. I, I wouldn't ever want to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to disrespect them. They, they yeah, I understand. They haven't listened to my podcast, so they probably won't. <laughs> um, well, when I say good, I mean, uh, I mean, there was there wasn't uh, abuse. There was no physical abuse. Um, we were well taken care of. Uh, my dad was not comfortable, you know, uh, showing love or saying I love you. It's not that he never said it, but it wasn't something he was real comfortable with. But he was a good he was a good provider. He was at home. He wasn't off. Um, you know, away from the family. Uh, my mother was very loving. But, yeah, I mean, we had a big Bible that sat on the coffee table and uh, had pictures inside, and it was it was never opened. I mean, I don't ever, I don't have any memory. We prayed before and after dinner at night, but um, we went to church faithfully. Um, my dad was, had leadership positions in the church. Um, but... It was not a part of our family discussion. We didn't talk about, we just didn't talk about God. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. And, um, and Dave, you know, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but because it just seems so interesting to me. And I said me and us as Christians, um, because um, I, I know they've had to label cultural Christianity um, when we worship the God that we want as opposed to God who is. And we know, I think this is Deuteronomy six about how we're supposed to impress God's commands on, you know, on the hearts of our children and talk about it when we're at home sitting at the table, when we're walking along the roadside, when we're going, putting them in the bed and when they get up in the morning. And that becomes a culture and a house that's centered around God. And yet we as Christians, as we try to be the best parents we could, like you said, providing and all that other stuff. But God is not at the center. So I, I'm going to ask you that somewhat of a tough question. Again, I know we haven't gotten into the Jesus at work, but I always don't want people to know the man behind the ministry is I want to know personally for you, how do you think growing up, even in a good home like you did, 
How do you think that impacted you as a Christian later on? Because you went through a divorce and you went through some financial struggles. How do you think that impacted you and made an impact on all that? Well, somehow I thought it was okay to to act the way I did with regards to to my lifestyle. Uh, you know, it somehow it was ingrained in me that as long as I checked the box and went to church on Sunday um, and asked for forgiveness for whatever I did the previous week, somehow that was okay. I, I mean, I can't even imagine that now. I mean, um, thinking that way or 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 instilling that in my kids. Um, so I, it hurt me. I'm I honest. I'm, again, I'm not trying to be harsh about my parents. I feel like they did the best they could, but but um, it. I mean, the home is the best to me. The home is where ground zero. I mean, we can drop our kids off at at uh, um, their age specific church at, at our church. Um, we can send them to Bible camp. We can do a lot of things, but what they hear from us and see in our actions in the home is what is going to impact them more than anything. Uh, and so it's a huge responsibility and it's not one that I take lightly. And, uh, and so is to answer your question, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for my own choices and I can look at my siblings and, and say how they did things differently and, and maybe didn't make the mistakes I did, but, but yeah, not having that grounding, uh, developing the habit of just talking about God and, and thinking about God and what he wants in everything I do, that was, that was not a good habit for me to take into college in my early years. You know, and that's going to be a good segue as we go into talking about Jesus at work. But I have one more question for you. And this is reference to Carrie, um, because even how we talk about work when we come home has an impact on our family. And do we see it as ministry? Do we see it as just a paycheck? But we'll get to that in a second. But I have one question before we go into that. And that was about Carrie, because um, you mentioned about meeting Carrie um, after you um, had rededicated your life to Christ. Well, you met her before you rededicated your life to Christ, but obviously Carrie saw something in you. But if you came from this kind of background where you pretty much say, well, I don't, you know, I know about God, but I don't really have a true relation with God. I'm always curious, what, what do you think attracted Carrie to you and wanted to think, okay, he's husband material? Cause you said shortly after that, you filed for bankruptcy. So she had to know your financial situation. So what do you <laughs> think attracted Carrie to you? Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, because I know that she had concerns about my faith, you know, because I, I questioned things that she was saying and she actually came from a bit of a charismatic background. So she was talking about, she was talking about speaking in tongues and things. So I was freaked out by a lot of things. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe there was some, some character traits that, uh, that she saw in me. Uh, maybe she saw some potential there that, <laughs> that, um, that that she thought God could work with, I don't know. I, <laughs> she, she, saw I don't know. Some, she saw some raw ingredients worth salvaging, right? So we can put it. Yeah. We can put a me- together a meal after this, <laughs> or, or, or maybe she maybe she likes the challenge. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it maybe that be that's a, that maybe that's reserved for her coming on the show, telling us more about that. Because I'm always curious right. how how you can and you know when you meet somebody great like her, and I'm thinking, what do they see in us? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> when the condition that we're in. <laughs> but well, anyway, one, one thing I will say is that the time before I asked her to marry me, I mean, that was a lot of transformation in my life. So, um, you know, I, after I gave, 
you know, took that walk to the, to the altar and I started going, I went to a um, promise keepers event and got real involved with men's ministry. So she was able to see some transformation in me before we actually committed. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, the way I tell my wife is sometimes it's not where you see us, but what direction we're headed. And if she saw the direction, say, okay, I can, you know, he's moving at least in the right direction. And so let, maybe if I join him, maybe we can help this, help him move along a little bit quicker. So now let's get into this, uh, because this is a very important topic. Uh, and thanks for sharing with us, uh, part of your story. Now, and now this will give it some context as we talk about this. Um, as I was going through your book, you, you mentioned about, um, finding joy and purpose on your job. Um, even if you don't really like your job, how do you do that? And not have it as just a means to pay the bills. I think there's several things. One of them is you you have to be close to God. And again, when I purposefully use the word joy as opposed to um, happiness, because I do think words matter. And you know, we can uh, we can apply uh, when oftentimes when we talk about finding happiness, um, we're talking about uh, things that are a little more surface that, that are more temporary. So um, I can have a good day and a bad day in my work just as I can have a good day and a bad day in my marriage or any other part of my life. But joy to me is more of about a consistent um, attitude of gratitude, attitude of appreciation. Um, and so I guess the first thing is to be plugged into my creator. And I can do that through prayer. I can do that by meditating on a particular scripture that keeps me on track. Um, that's that's one key and 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 then the other is just an overall perspective of what the purpose of my work is um, and reminding myself that it's much bigger than just a paycheck uh, those are two things that that come to mind that have helped me now so how can we make sure that we do work that matters because you know guys we like to judge what we do well all I'm doing I'm just a janitor I'm just a plumber I'm just a carpet. I'm just whatever. How do we make sure that the work we do matters? Because it all matters to God. Is there a shift that we can make in our mindset to make sure we do work that matters regardless of the kind of work that we're doing? Well, I think the important thing to remember is that God values work. You know, he, one of the first things he did with Adam and Eve was to give them work. And, uh, you know, what was that work? Well, it was tending to the garden. Is there anything particularly spiritual about, about, about <laughs> right. that? Right. You know, no, but so there must have been a reason why uh, God felt it was so important um, to, to, to give this new creation something to do. Um, so I think that's the first thing is just to remember that it's not up to us to decide whether our work matters. It's up to, it's up to God. And he, he gave us work as a concept um, and so regardless of what we do, it falls under that category of uh, being fruitful, multiplying, tending the garden, um, and other terms that you might call just work in general. Um, the other thing I think it's important to remember is there's this thing called common grace. And I, I've, I've gotten a better appreciation from that. Um, I read the book, uh, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller, that's really good. And basically it says that, you know, Common grace is the great is the is God blessing everybody, sinner and um, believer and sinner, or, or sinner and saint, you might say. Everybody, every human on this earth, God blesses. And one of the ways He blesses um, everybody is through common grace. So if you think about that, 
no matter what work you do, if the work you're doing is in some way helping someone in some way, <laughs> you are a part of God's common grace to mankind. To mankind. Wow, that, that's a that's a great perspective, Dave. I, I never thought about it that way. You know, um, because and I like how what you said, too, that it's not for us to determine the significance of our work, but it's for God. And, and I keep thinking, how do we get there? We, we I guess we get there thinking based on the numbers that we see, because based on what you're saying and we look at it from God's perspective. OK, yes. Um, Donald Trump, as the president of the United States, has a very, very important job. But God doesn't say that makes you less responsible, make an impact for his kingdom in a job that you're working at a photo booth. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it does, well, a toll booth. It, it, the thing is that God determines the significance of your work. And I guess we have to make that choice to honor him in it. Um, but I, I want to go to something that I saw in your book. In part two of your book, um, you said that we need to know the difference between God's purpose and his assignment. And you had made mention of, a, I guess, it's a Bishop Trogdon who open your eyes up to this. Could you tell us the difference between God's purpose and his assignment? Absolutely. So I believe that God's purpose is for us to love and uh, to love him and to love others. I mean, that's shown up in many scripture um, that we try to make life so complicated and God brings us back to simplicity. And, um, and, and so basically all he wants us to do is, is to love him and to love others. Uh, so that is basically what I call the purpose of my work. Now, it's also the purpose of my life. <laughs> but then I think that also brings me back to the idea that we need to integrate every part of our life. And I believe that's God's will. In other words, we, we shouldn't be carving out, uh, you know, here's my church life. Here's my home life. Here's my work life. We, we should be the same person in every part of our life. And we should bring our our faith and our beliefs into every part of our life. And so, so basically that's what I define as, as the purpose of your work is just, is to love God and love others. All right. And so how's that different from God's assignment then? So assignment is, um, what the things that God wants you to do within your work. Oh, so the purpose. Yeah. So the purpose is kind of like what drives everything in your work it drives the assignments that you do and I in the book I talked about a general assignment and your personal assignment so the general assignment is some is is are things that God wants each and every one of us to do in our work okay and so some of the things what well, one of those is to be excellent to, to work with excellence another is to love and serve others uh, another is to model integrity and and another is to share the good news um, with others. Now, that last point, a lot of times people get hung up on that. Oh, is it okay to proselytize? Is it okay to share the gospel at work? That's a whole other discussion. But and we can talk about that. But the point I'm trying to make is there's 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 two types of assignments: general and personal. Um, and sharing the good news is just one part of those general assignments. There are many other things that God's assignments. And by assignments, what I mean is these are things that God wants us to do. Now, is he, is he going to be mad if we don't do them? I mean, that's not the God that we serve. He's, he's already done everything. So all he wants is just for us to love him and love others. But he loves us enough to know that an abundant life means much more than just getting a paycheck and paying your bills. And so an abundant life when it comes to our work includes all these very awesome assignments that he's given us. And there's all sorts of scripture to back up each of those, but there's no doubt that 
in my mind that that is God's will in my job every day is to do those things that I just mentioned. You know, and Dave, what I'm hearing too, and the way I summarize, I'm writing notes as you're saying this, that difference between God's purpose and God's assignment, and correct me if I'm mis- um, or not paraphrasing you the right way, that you're saying that God's purpose is look, uh, it's about our motives. It's to love him and love others. But God's assignment is about the means to fulfilling those motives, behind those motives of how, what we do. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. I, I think of uh, as our assignment as a way to achieve the overall purpose. The big picture, the big picture is the purpose. The assignment is, is kind of how that manifests itself. Gotcha. You know, and I guess I look at Real Men Connect, even with our podcast, that the purpose of what we do is that we want to go and make disciples um, of men, particularly. That's what God has called on my life. And I guess the assignment is how we do it through a podcast, through discipleship groups, <laughs> through um, different types of means. Like you said, there's, yeah, there's so many different ways to do it as opposed to just preaching about disciple making. There's a lot of different ways to do it through events. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. Now, um, in in your book, you warn us about comparison and hobbies. I want you to unpack that for us a little bit. What do we need to be careful of when it comes to comparison and hobbies? What do you mean by that? Well, two of the things that, that uh, we know we're not supposed to do that is clear is that we should not envy and we, we should not judge others. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't take long reading the Bible to realize that those are bad. <laughs> And so both of those stem out of comparison. So if I'm, if I'm comparing, comparing myself to someone at work, that, that can go two different ways. I can compare myself to someone who's in a position that I'd like to be in, um, someone who maybe has more respect than I do, they make more money than I do, has a title or an office that I don't have. And that, what does that lead to? Well, if you don't have the right heart, it leads to um, envy, right? And a, and a lack of um, contentedness and appreciation for what God's given us. Well, in a similar way, I can look down on others, maybe the janitor or someone who doesn't do the job as good as we think we do. Or maybe it's someone who does a good job, but we, it's not, they don't do it in the way we think it should be done. Or we think, we think people joke around too much at work. These are all things that I've done. That's why I have great examples <laughs> to use. Right. So anyway, so those are so those are um, two very dangerous um, things that can come out of result of comparing ourselves to others. Now, and so you, so we talk about avoiding envy and judging because that leads to, you know basically is based on comparison. But what does that have to do with the hobbies? Then, when you said to warn us about comparison and hobbies, what does that have to do with hobbies? Oh, hobbies, uh, I think was kind of related, but it's really kind of a separate thing. It, Here's where I was coming at it with the hobby thing is from what I've seen, I don't have personally other than um, a few, I don't have a lot, a lot of hobbies myself, but I, over the years, I've just noticed that men get really passionate about their hobbies. And yeah, <laughs> and that in itself is not a bad thing, but I think for Christian men, sometimes um, they, they, they put a lot of energy into their hobbies or maybe even some kind of a ministry at church because they don't feel satisfied at work. And, and, and to some degree, we have some control over that. In other words, there's nothing wrong with, you know, not being crazy about a particular job you have as much as you do some hobby you like, like hunting or fishing or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think it's a balanced thing. If you, if you basically are thinking about next time you can go fishing all day at work and you're kind of, 
as a result, really are missing out on a lot of opportunities at your work because your your mind is elsewhere. I think that I think that's that that can be a pitfall. Yeah. You know, Dave, I, I never thought about that before because, you know, even though it's been a long time since I've been, quote, corporate America and working on a regular job. Um, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I used to hear and hear um, men and women. It's like even though they were at work, everything they were talking about was them getting what they're going to do when they leave work and how they were longing for what they want to do after they get off from work. And I never looked at it as being a bad thing. And it's not like we're condemning them for, but I, I get it from the perspective of what you're saying now is God is a present God. It says, I am, I'm a present God. He says, how can you be serving me on your job? If you're thinking about leaving it all the time and what you're going to do when you get off from work, that you should be present. Could you imagine me doing that in the classroom when I was working full time in the classroom is that I'm teaching class and all I'm doing is talking about how I'm going on a ski trip or going fishing all the time. Is that what you kind of alluded to that our, we're not present? We're not fully present in, in hearing from God to be able to serve God the right way on the job if our mind is someplace else. Correct me if, if, if um, no, elaborate you're, on you're, that. You're exactly right. Another and uh, Retirement is another issue that fits right along with this that I I see so much where people are spending their whole career thinking about what they're going to do when they're (laughs) when they they, they stop working (laughs) when they're 65 and and when they get there they're going to realize that it's not what they thought it would be and uh, so so it's it's kind of along the same category in other words you spend most of your waking hours at your job what a what a what a shame it is to spend uh, a good portion of that um, time while you're on the job being being mentally or emotionally somewhere else, whether it's your future retirement or or the next you know the next weekend thing you're going to do. You know, Dave, I'm glad that you you did bring it up. You talked about that because it's not something that you really give a lot of attention to. And I'm hoping to be out there who are listening. We're not saying that is evil, <laughs> that that is wicked doing it. What we're saying we're missing opportunities to be able to be a vessel that God can use fully. Um, which kind of leads me to my next question I wanted to ask you about. When I trained teachers, Dave, one of the things I taught them was not to complain to students about the teaching profession. You'd be surprised how many teachers talk about how bad teaching is to students. <laughs> because cause, cause <laughs> right. I, I, cause I felt like it would, it would discourage students from wanting to pursue our profession as educators, and it reflected bad on them as teachers. So I have to believe when we complain about our jobs and how much we don't like it, this can't be honoring to God. So how should we talk about our work when we're speaking to others? Um, what should we say, even if we're struggling at work, how should we communicate about our jobs? Well, I mean, I think we should be positive when we can. And when we can't, we should keep our mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we it's not that we have to be all fakey and talk about how we love we love this we love that when some things are, are just mundane and and we really don't like it, but uh, we don't do ourselves or uh, anyone else any good by um, speaking negativity about our job or about others in our job. That's another thing. Gossip in the workplace isn't is just totally uh, being outside of God's will. Um, that's along that same category. <laughs> now, I'm thinking about this. I just realized this. You write in a book about this and you're because you're currently employed. Um, I'm assuming your coworkers and your colleagues, they know that you wrote a book like this. Did that make you nervous that I write a book about this and I'm actually working? So they get to scrutinize me and, and look at it from that perspective. Did that bother you? I have to be honest. I have not 
entered in, I have not gotten real public about the sharing of book, my book, other than with uh, fellow believers. And it's not like it's on the, it's not like it's on the New York Times bestseller list or anything. So, so in, I guess in that sense, um, uh, it's not a, it hasn't been a, an issue positively or negatively in that sense. Um, I, sometimes I wish it was more of an issue, you know? so I'd have more discussions around it, but but yeah. You know, and the reason I asked that, we had a guest on the show, a wonderful book he wrote about loving your wife, and I told him, I said, after I read his book, it was so good, and I told him, I said, wow, you didn't feel pressure writing a book like that? Because he said, he said it scared him to death. He said, because how are you going to write a book about loving your wife when you're still married? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so your wife is reading the book and everybody knows you, your marriage is putting your your uh, marriage under a microscope. And he says, but he knew that God called him to write that book. But um, I, you know, we, I don't, we, I don't want to run out of time before we get to the man of questions. And I still had a, a lot more questions for you, but I want to get some, some other ones, get some other questions in there, Dave. Um, what do you do if you're stuck between a job and a dream? And I'm talking about you're working and you're being faithful, but you don't have enough time to pursue the vision and dream God has called you for ministry, um, or something else. What can or should you do when you're in that position? Because you've seen people in that that they. They, they're trying to be faithful in their job, but they really want to be a full-time writer and they, or they want to be a full-time preacher or whatever it may be. How, what do you suggest to guys who are stuck between a job and a dream? I'm going to do my best I can with this because I've, I've kind of been on a journey on this question. I, in the book I wrote about that, um, I encouraged people not to quit their job, that, that uh, you should continue to pray to God. And if you, if you know that it's his will for you to do something different, then yes, of course you should. But otherwise, if you don't know, just continue to be faithful. And that and, and that was partly a response to my old self that jumped ship from being an engineer to uh, flip houses without any financial stability whatsoever. You know, um, so I it's I wish I had the right answer because to be honest, you know, I am pursuing what I think is God's will outside of my work. And I have to, because I do a podcast and, you know, I wrote this book and, and I, I, I believe it, I believe it's his will and I'm pursuing that. But there's also choices to be made because if you got a family, I mean, you have to make choices. Um, I guess my, my best answer is of course to pray about it and to take steps in that direction as best you can without fully um, giving up too much, you know, in other words, you know, in the finan- in, uh, financial peace university, uh, Dave Ramsey talks about, um, not stepping off the boat, you know, until you're at the dock. Um, in other words, don't quit your job until you've got something else lined up. And I think that, I think that's good advice, both in, in terms of, even if it's something that's ministry related is find a way to, Put to get involved in something and just see how that goes before you make a, a big leap. Yeah, you know, and and I and I apologize because I know it's a tough question because there's so many different ways um, someone can answer that question. But I, I asked you because you have written a book about um, you know talking about Jesus um, at work and us being faithful to our work. Because um, I've given similar advice to people who want to do what I do because I've been self-employed and full time for the last twenty something years. I I don't. Tell people it's the greatest thing in the world because there's no there's no guarantees. But for people who want to pursue their their passion outside of work, I tell them, like you said, I said, do it part time. I said, um, just 
Test the waters. And I say, if um, God is ready for you to move, he'll let you know. Either he'll close that door or he will ward you financially and bless you that you have no choice but to leave. And I've seen people with different stories have to leave for different reasons. Some because they didn't want to leave their job, but the door was closed and they had to leave their job. And they pursued um, ministry or their um, passion full time. And so I just wanted to get your perspective on that. Now, um, trying to think, I want to ask you, yeah, I remember something I read in your book. You said that we should let God be our promoter. Could you explain to us uh, what that would look like in real life where God is promoting you being your promoter? For me, it's about trusting in him and not trying to make something happen. Um, if you if you are sincerely praying about a potential promotion or a change in what you're doing uh, and you have peace about it, that's a much, that's really different than just doing it uh, without um, really pursuing God's will. And you know, for me, it has a lot to do with being patient and not and and not trying to um, force something to happen. You know, my wife calls she the way she describes it. Don't go kicking in doors. Let God open them. Right. And, or because that's because we're inclined to do that. And I'm like that. You mentioned patience because we're, we're impatient. I know I'm impatient and I want to say, but if I just do this or if I just make this happen and always I would say nine times out of ten, I, I, I miss God on that. And I realized that God said, no, wait for my timing on that. You didn't hear from me. That was you going ahead of me. But my wife always says to Joe, I don't want to kick in any doors. I want God to either open them or I want him to close them, but I'm not going to kick in any doors. And so uh, I, I like how you that that's because when you when I read that, I'm thinking, OK, what what is they really trying to say? And I, and I think that's exactly what you're saying. So patience well, and well, waiting on God's timing. It, and I think one test of that is if something happens positively in your life and you cannot honestly, sincerely say to somebody, oh, that was all God. Like if you if you say that, but inside you're thinking, Man, that's really that was really me making that happen. <laughs> then, then you then you missed the boat. You did it the wrong way, and uh, so that's kind of a test after the fact as to whether you did it right. <laughs> now, you know, Dave, that's interesting that you said that. I just spoke recently at a, a men's retreat, and um, we had a plan. I was going to speak four times during the weekend, and the guy who coordinated the event told me what we wanted to accomplish. We came out with this strategic plan. We're going to start with the man, then we're going to go build up to brotherhood, then we're going to build up to disciple, um, disciple making, then we're going to look at um, prioritizing our time. And we had this perfect plan set up. And when I went up to speak on the second time, and which was going to be talking about brotherhood, and we're going to do brotherhood and the importance of brotherhood. And um, they had this choir come up and started singing this men's choir and I was in tears. I mean, they were really good. I mean, just touched my heart. And so I started commenting about that choir. And before I knew it, I, I know, like, which made no sense. Don't do my presentation. Don't do what I was going to do about brotherhood. And I turned the paper over and he's talking about just speaking off the cuff. For the entire duration, that was scary as all get out, man, to do, do something like that with no notes. And it wasn't what I was called to do. But just like you said, that by the time I was done, you knew what I said. That was all God. That made no sense whatsoever. And I would have never done that in my right mind. <laughs> we give a presentation with no notes and no plan. <laughs> but right. um, they thought it, they gave a standing ovation. I'm thinking I told them I they knew I wasn't using my notes. And so that that is a great aftertest to see 
if it was you, did you have anything to do with that? Or was that, did you totally depend and trust God to do it? It's scary, Dave, to do that. But you know when he's come by. What is that, what's that old saying? They say, you may not always see God when he's, um, when he's coming, but you'll know he's been there. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. I love it. But I got one more question, Dave, before we jump into the man up questions, man. And um, it's somewhat of a tough question, but I think you can handle it. Uh, my entire ministry is built on the foundation. I mentioned earlier about fulfilling the Great Commission, which is to go out and make disciples. If you're working on a job, how can we make disciples? And what does that look like at our place of work? Well, of course, there's a difference between um, helping some, leading someone to Christ and, and discipling them. So um, you're asking specifically about discipling. Um, the, what I've, one way to do that is to, is to find believers in, at your work and to um, meet regularly and disciple each other. Now, it doesn't have to be some formal thing. I have done that. We're, we've done a Bible study on our lunch hour. But it could be uh, it's simply a matter of each of you knowing that yeah, that you have each other's back, so to speak, kind of like a small group that you'd have through your church, but at your work. Um, and, uh, it, and you could just regularly check in on each other. Um, so uh, that would be one way to disciple others. But again, there's a big difference between that and sharing, sharing with someone the gospel. You know, so what I'm hearing that you're saying also, Dave, is just to be intentional about it. Um, and, and have a focus to it in rallying the troops, so to speak. Cause I, I never, I, cause I, I'm thinking now if I had to go back to teaching, how would I do this kind of work there? I know God has called me to it. How would I do it? And so, um, that's, so you have to be intentional when you do it. Well, and I heard an idea recently, um, which is to, uh, just get a small group, maybe two other, uh, guys at work. And just agree that once a week you're going to get together and just pray for your workplace. So it doesn't have to doesn't have to be go over through a Bible study. It could just be we're gonna we're gonna step aside and we're gonna pray for where we work. And so that's a simple thing you can do too. Excellent advice. Excellent. Now, Dave, it's now time for the man up questions. Our infamous man up questions. And Dave, these are just five quick questions, starting with the letters M A N U P, and all they require is your fearless honesty. So the question is, Dave, are you ready, man? I am ready. All right, and we'll get started right after this short break with my guest, Dave Hilgendorf, um, the author of Jesus is at Work. Hey, Mighty Warrior, you know the great John Wesley once said that if you give him 300 men who fear nothing but God, hate nothing but sin, and are determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified, he said he would set the world on fire. Do you know that one quote changed my life? Because after hearing it, God immediately gave me a vision to build a team of 300 men who would change the world for Christ. But I didn't realize it at the time that a man is the hardest thing to reach. And if you don't believe me, just ask any pastor or men's ministry leader or even a wife. <laughs> Now, due to the success of our Real Men Connect podcast, we've managed to reach and teach men all over the world in 43 countries and still counting. But John Wesley knew when he spoke those famous words, just like Jesus did, that there's a huge difference between attracting a passive crowd of men and recruiting a committed team of men. So we decided to launch the Real Men 300. The Real Men 300 is an opportunity for you to join an exclusive team of men who've agreed to financially partner with Real Men Connect to be personally mentored, supported, and coached so they can be professionally trained and equipped to mentor, support, and disciple the next generation of men for Christ. 
So we want to personally help you grow in Christ while you're supporting us in ministry. We're a nonprofit organization and we rely heavily on your financial support. So we're asking you to consider partnering with us by giving at least $30 a month, that's only a dollar a day, to help us help you be the man God called and created you to be. To give or to find out more, just go to realmen300.com. That's realmen300.com and join the 300 today. Mighty Man of God, we are back with my guest, Dave Hilgendorf, and he has agreed to take on the Man Up questions, and I can't wait to hear what Dave has to say about it. And Dave, the way we do this thing, man, and we ask those five questions, but sometimes I kind of put a spin on it, depending on what you've already told me and what the Spirit is leading me. Um, so uh, some are kind of personal, and some I'll keep them in general, but we'll start making it a personal question. The M stands for mistake, and I'm going to um, tailor this towards your book and you being at work, because you now have returned back to the workforce again after taking a hiatus um, to flip houses. But what mistake did you learn the most from from your first stint at work and now your second stint back in full-time employment? Uh, it would be uh, going bankrupt and all the, the, the things I did that led to that. Uh, I mean, that totally changed the trajectory of my, trajectory of my life. Um, and it gave me an appreciation for my work in a way that I never had before. Uh, and it, ha- it drove me to learn what God has to say about managing money and about work in a way that I would not have. Um, I'm a huge uh, Dave Ramsey fan. My wife and I lead uh, the Financial Peace class. We've done it eight times now. And uh, I- I'm sure I wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten there if I had not made such a huge mistake in my life. Mm-hmm. Talking about turning beauty, um, turning ashes into beauty. Um, God is now using you now to help others um, and reach them doing that. That is awesome. Now, the A stands for attitude, Dave. And um, based on what you see when it comes to us as Christians at work, if there's an attitude you could change in the heart of men who you see working um, the nine to five, working the grind at work, what would it be? What attitude would you change in men? Apathy, um, settling for less than uh, what God's will is. I mean, like I said before, if God thought it was so important that that was the first thing he did with Adam and Eve, uh, he, you should think of your work in the same way. And, uh, and, you know, we talked about loving God. That's a part, in my mind, of the attitude uh, that you have at work as opposed to apathy. And so, I mean, just channel that desire uh that you have for God at work as a starting point. And, uh, but yeah, just at, avoiding apathy and just kind of settling for the status quo. You know, that's, you know, it's funny that you said about what that's the attitude you would change for men at work. That's my attitude. I would change a men in general, um, even as spiritual leaders of the home. And in a sense, you know, and I'm not throwing your parents under the bus. Um, if they listen to this, we love you. <laughs> but in a sense, their attitude towards the home and even though they love, you know, they had God in the home, they never talked about him. In a sense, that was kind of like an apathetic approach to God. And and that's what you want to guard against is that casual, um, passive approach. And so you're telling us that we, could, we need to fight against that when we're even when we're at work. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if not, it's just going to be like you're sitting on an inner tube floating down the river. You have got to swim upstream with this thing. Um, you, you can't just let this happen. 
Now, Dave, the N stands for next. And even though you're you're gainfully and full full time employed and yeah, and you're doing your podcast, by the way, get quick plug for your podcast is Christian Christian Men at Work podcast. Um, And you're an author now and you may be writing on working on some other books. But the N stands for next. What's the next big thing you would attempt to do for God if you couldn't fail? You really want me to pick one, right? Yeah. You don't want to give me okay. <laughs> Yeah, one for now. <laughs> the one, the one right. that's keeping you up at night, Dave, that, that just got you tossing and turning and said, man, I got it. God, you're not going to let me alone on this thing. What is that thing? I think uh, that I want to write a very high-impact um, fiction book. Um, really? I really? Yeah, I really love uh, Ted Decker. Uh-huh. And um, and I've, I've, I've uh, heard from a number of Christian authors that don't necessarily write Christian books. But they believe strongly that we've, as Christians, we've given over storytelling to uh, the secular, the secular culture and to Hollywood. So I think there's a real need for uh, a very impactful fiction book. Wow, you know, and I'm already getting a vision of it. So you're not even talking in a traditional sense of some of the other um, fiction books that are out there in the Christian realm. I, I'm hearing you. Am I hearing you correctly? You're talking about that they may not even know that it's Christian based. Yeah, and that might be hard for me. I'm going to have this this almost a sense of obligation to build in a Christian message into it. Um, but I, I do think there's a lot to be said for just someone with a biblical worldview being just as just as there's a role for Christians to be in every aspect of our marketplace. You know, in politics and in every industry, um, there's also a need for Christians with a biblical worldview just to be telling stories and entertaining people. You know what I'm thinking, Dave, is here's the, a, a good way of describing. I'm hoping they get this or what you're talking about is think about a singer who sings love songs, you know, and that we know there's some great love songs. But typically when we hear people who sing, we only we sing love songs and worshiping God. Why not have somebody who sings with it? Like you said, a Christian perspective We're yeah, we love God, but loving our wives in true love from a Christian perspective. Right. As opposed to just praise and worship music, which is great, but to honor our wives in a way that just great love songs, period, that has nothing to do with lust and <laughs> temptation and that kind of right. stuff. Right. Right. And this, yeah. And that's a journey, real quick, that's a journey for me too, because I've started out just kind of maybe going overboard when after I got saved and, and oh, saying, we all oh, been there, man. Everything's got to be Christian, gotta be Christian, 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 you know? Yep, yep. And yep. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes I, I feel so bad. I want to go back and apologize to everybody who I call, I, I call it Christian vomiting <laughs> when I got saved. Uh, man, I, boy, I was, boy, I was obnoxious, man. But anyway, <laughs> this is the last, this is the last letter. And the letter is, uh, no, no, I forgot the U. Got to do the U. Man, you represents understand, Dave. When you were younger, what was the one thing you didn't understand about being a man that you understand better now? Because you've been through a divorce, and now you were caring. You guys have been married for a while now with three kids. What, what did you learn? What do you know now better that you didn't understand when you were younger? That the greatest force in the universe is a man's sex drive, and that there's a reason that God gave us that sex drive, and it is. To be channeled in one direction, and that is toward one woman um, within the boundaries that he has set. And if we do that, we can have, like uh, Tommy Nelson, who, who taught a class that I took with, with Carrie on Song of Solomon, he talks about how marriage can be a slice of heaven or it can be a slice of hell. 
And, and I think that how we channel this incredible force that God gave us um, is, is a huge uh, indicator of whether our life is going to be blessed or a curse. Wow. You know, and Dave, I'm going to let you get out of here, man. Just one more question for you. Quick one. And this um, last letter is P. P stands for problem. And as a mighty man of God, you've been through a lot, man. Um, what's the one problem in your life? Do you still struggle with as man as a man even today? That Carrie um, Car- would agree with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say it's um, sadness, discontent, judge- being judgmental, uh, which for me kind of go hand in hand a lot of times. And maybe that's why I had to write that book, because it's something I struggle with. Um, but, yeah, that's that's an issue for me. You know, and Dave, I, I appreciate you, man. Um, and you did a great job on that. And thank you for being so transparent and honest. Um, the Man Up se- um, segment of the show is one of my favorite parts because I get them to see our humanity. You know, Jesus came so um, and experienced our humanity so we could relate to him. And I always want guys who uh, are doing some great work like you're doing and putting some positive stuff out there so they can see that, hey, even as men, we still struggle, too. I love what T.D. Jake said. He says, even um, strong men struggle. And so people can gain strength even in our weakness. So thank you for being so honest and transparent. I appreciate it, man. Sure. And men, guess what? We've come to the end of our show today. But um, don't you worry. We'll be back to do it again next week with a new guest, with new insights and new lessons. So make sure you don't miss it. And I'd like to thank my guest, Dave Hilgendorf, for being so patient, uh, for get, making it finally to the Real Making That podcast and for joining us today and for being so gracious with this time. Dave, thank you so much, so much, man, for joining us. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. And Dave, quickly for us, man, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and your ministry and what you're working on, how could they connect to you or how can they reach out to you? Uh, my website is DaveHilgendorf.com. That's H-I-L-G-E-N-D-O-R-F. And that'll get you to um, some social media I have and, and some other things. All right. And we'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well so people have a way of contacting you. Yeah. When you get to Dave's um, website, uh, it'll lead you to a lot of different places. And also, I mentioned that he has a podcast called Christian Men at Work Podcast. So, guys, make sure you check that out. And that's the end of our show, guys. Thank you. Please do us a favor. And this is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program for us. Uh, It's the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. Guys, you made us number one for a reason because you're out there sharing us with the world. And we are truly blessed by it because without you, there would be no Real Men Connect. So until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God calls called and created you to be because a male is a terrible, terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed. And as always, stay in his grip. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. 
Real Men Connect is a listener-supported podcast, and we're now the number one radio podcast on iTunes for Christian men. If this podcast has blessed you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to bless and transform the lives of even more husbands, fathers, sons, and leaders, please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. Just go to realmenconnect.com and click on the donate button. And may God bless your faithful giving.